Prominent in the headlines this week is the story that Lance Armstrong, seven-time winner of the Tour de France and surely the most famous name in the bicycling world, was going to go public and confess to illegal doping. Armstrong taped an interview with Oprah Winfrey in what's being described as a PR gamble to earn forgiveness from the public while also rehabilitating his earning potential. While traveling in Asia last November, I came upon someone quite knowledgeable about the world of professional cycling. What he told me about this situation was fascinating. The he in this case is Steve Fenton, CEO of ProLite, maker of high-tech bicycle components. As a former professional cyclist, Steve is knowledgeable about every aspect of the world of competitive cycling. At the conclusion of the boat cruise tour of Halong Bay in Vietnam where I met Steve, we exchanged cards. I hope he might wish to share his insights with cycling with you, the listening audience. I contacted Steve in the wake of Lance Armstrong's attempt to embark on this so-called road to redemption, and happily he's agreed to share his thoughts and opinions. He joins us now from Taiwan, where the ProLight factory is located. I'm pleased to say, welcome to Radio Parallax, Steve Fenton. Hello there. How are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay. And Steve, you had some uh, really very outspoken opinions when we, when we last spoke over in Vietnam. So I want to start out by saying, what do you think of this current confession that Armstrong is making? Well, I think there's a a number of key points that need to be mined here is the fact that, um, you know, Lance Armstrong has uh, basically had an incredible influence over people all around him and the sport and the people that govern the sport for as long as he's been involved with it. And basically, the ground under his feet is it's crumbling. It's falling apart. And... The, the man is basically clutching at straws because, you know, he's, he's, he's misled people for so long and denied any involvement in any form of uh, legal activity within the sport. And yet now he's looking to do a deal with people. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the media are obviously going to hype it up a little bit. But basically, you know, people who still think this is a good guy who's done wonderful things for the world of cycling and especially for cancer care... Um, I can assure you the only thing Lance Armstrong ever does is for something that is in the interest of Lance Armstrong. Well, Steve, i got to say, when, when I first when we were cruising out on the lovely bay in, in Ha Long there in, in Vietnam, and I asked you what you thought about this Armstrong situation, I was slightly taken aback when you looked at me and said, I think he ought to be in jail. And you proceeded to tell me why you held that opinion. And, and I must say, all this news coverage has got people traipsing around, speaking on conditions of anonymity, and uh, being sort of tiptoeing around the topic as they're supposedly saying what Armstrong's thinking. He, he's obviously a man that even now has people scared. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, his involvement with the governing body, the youth guy, um, I mean, obviously there's two, there's two very, very large payments that have been traced to Lance Armstrong that have been made to the UCI. And, of course, the excuse is that the money was used for buying equipment or for helping this. It's just funny that there's certain results that uh, proved Lance Armstrong a doe have gone missing. You know, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out where, you know, what, what that one's all about. And like I say, I mean, the man has had his, his, his own way for such a long time. You know, this is a man whose every maneuver on and off the bike was calculated. And I can assure you, this guy got very rich on the way up. And if things carry on, he's going to get very rich on the way down as well. (laughs) Uh, You estimated for me that he might be worth $400 million, which I guess that has to put him at the very top of the sports world. 
I mean, he's, he is one of the richest sports people in the world. And, you know, this figure's been banded around, uh, which varied tremendously. And, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't honestly say exactly how much he's worth. But, you know, it's the sort of money people like you and I would never dream of being able to earn. Yes, indeed. <laughs> There's going to be a million questions raised, I think, by this confession. But I guess uh, prominent on everyone's lips is how has he gotten away for this? For as long as he has, I mean, you you mention you make allusion to the fact that obviously the uh, the regulating authorities haven't done their job, but um, what about the use of performance enhancing drugs in the sport in general? I mean, it sounds like it's pervasive. I, I mean, I got involved with the sport at an early age. You know, I'm I'm 52 years old now. I started racing when I was 13. I first went racing abroad as a teenager, and. In my early 20s, I started going abroad a lot more to, to, to ride races, obviously in pursuit of uh, getting a contract. And, you know, it was always a, a subject that you didn't openly discuss unless it was with somebody that was uh, very, very trustworthy. And it probably was maybe in my third year that I was told that there's a route that I can go down, which means I can earn a lot more money. Well, I can just carry on doing what I'm doing and stay stay at the level that I'm at. But I was told in no uncertain terms there is only one way that you will be able to compete at a high level and earn a good salary, and that means you have to take medicine. That's the phrase they all use, you take medicine. Would you say that it, everyone out there is doing it? I mean, that's sort of been the excuse we, we, we sort of hear that Armstrong's, or people speaking for him have said, well, I guess they, it's being downplayed how unusual Armstrong's behavior has been. But you, as you point out, everyone's got a choice. That's exactly the, the key word, every other choice. I can assure you there was no pressure put on me, and I never saw pressure put on anybody to, 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 to take medicine. You can race clean. And, I, you know, I mean, the classic example has to be Greg LeMond. Yeah. You know, I mean, Greg LeMond, he challenged Lance Armstrong in a, in a press conference and openly said, Lance, we know what, what your body can produce, what, what your VO2 max is. We, we all know what that is. And how come somebody like me, who's got a VO2 max, which is greater than yours, could only get up a certain mountain in this time that you got up there five minutes faster than me? The only way you could do that is by using something which is, 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 enhances your performance. And, of course, Armstrong, in his typical bombastic manner, belittled um, Limond and basically turned the, the cards on him. And any other journalist or anybody else who's dared... To ever to, to ever try and uh, have a go at uh, Armstrong, and, and you know, there's a catalogue of people who've been severely damaged by Armstrong o over the years by his bullying tactics and the way that he's been able to cover everything up. I mean, you know, he's ruined the life of, uh, of of a number of people and people that worked with him and alongside him, as well as people from outside who've, who've questioned him, such as journalists and, like I say, Greg Lamont. You know, I mean. Armstrong's association was with Trek, one of his key sponsors, and Lamont had a business licensing deal with um, with Trek. And uh, I do recall that um, the president or the CEO of Trek, at the t uh, a couple of years ago, quoted that if it hadn't been for for, for the, the the fight with uh, between between Lamont and Armstrong, the Lamont brand under the Trek banner would have been worth thirty to thirty-five million dollars a year. But now it's just a memory. Wow. Um, we spoke with Floyd Landis on this program some years back, and, and I, I know I don't have the quote at my fingertips. We did bring up the question about performance-enhancing uh, uh, agents, and of course at that time he was in denial mode, and he hotly denied that 
that sort of thing was an issue. Mm. But there were some questionable tests at that point floating around that I think were later shown to be um, to be valid. So what about all this testing? They talk about testing everybody, and are they just that good at avoiding the uh, the methods being used, or, or are they just making tests disappear? I think the stuff that's out there, some of the stuff is, I mean, the tests that they do, they're always one step ahead. Yeah. The, the, the real, the really good doctors are one step ahead, and by the time the, the authorities are ready to catch up with them, they've moved on to something new. The other thing is, it's this tip-offs. People pay for information, and you know, there's all sorts of things that, that, that definitely go on. I can't. And again, this goes back quite a few years. We we were on one of these, one of the premier stage races in the in the, in the, the pro season calendar, and in the same hotel was Armstrong's team. And the whole floor was blocked off by security guards. And the comings and goings that were going on on that floor during the night were just unbelievable. I mean, why would Lance Armstrong need to get up in the middle of the night to ride a turbo trainer? (laughs) (laughs) You know, riders go to bed at 9.30 because they're bloody knackered, you know, and they don't get up until they have to at 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock the next morning. He's up at 3 o'clock in the middle of the night riding a turbo trainer with a team of doctors going in and out of his room. I know sports writers tend to like not be very hard hitting when because they want access. Uh, it's always been in the background this issue about possible cheating, yeah. but it certainly has never gone mainstream. And even now, Steve, the coverage we're seeing about this whole confession is about Armstrong's road to redemption. They're still trying to put a positive spin on this. Oh yeah, I mean you know, yeah, welcome to the Hollywood media of the uh, United States of America. You know, <laughs> it's like yeah, come on. You know, let's get real. You know, I mean, it's, it's all to do with uh, selling selling new space and one thing and another. But the bottom line is, I mean, for example, you know, uh, Oprah Winfrey, she had Lance Armstrong on her show, whatever, 12, 15 months ago. She knew full well that there was a federal investigation against him. But did she ask any questions about what was going on? No way. You know, this woman claims to be uh, a journalist and a, a seeker of the truth. You must be having a laugh. That, that woman, you know, she's, she's as bad as he is. You know, they, they're just doing things that, that, that benefit themselves. Wow. Well, um, you mentioned the U.S. of A press coverage. Was there better coverage in the international media about what was really going on? Well, Lance was very good at controlling all of that as well. Take, for example, um, the, the, the well, he's Irish guy. He's a guy called David Walsh. David is a journalist who's gone after, for 10, 12 years now, gone after Lance Armstrong. And, you know, this guy, everything he tried to do got capped and legal threats. And, but eventually the guy is, is, is pulled through. And you know, there's a whole bunch of journalists now who are coming out saying, well, you know, you know, Lance made it very clear to me that, uh, you know, my career would be ended if I ever published anything that indicated that we thought that he was doing something illegal. And the man has found a way to really bully and threaten people in all kinds of different and, and, and threatening ways. And, you know, I, I really think that you've only just seen the tip of the iceberg on uh, what's going to come out about the, what he's been up to and what's been going on at the sport at the highest levels. And, you know, it's all well and good. Everybody's pointing the finger at Lance, but, you know, the UCI... The, the top officials, Mr. Rubin and um, Mr. McQuaid there, they've got an awful lot of questions that need answering. We're speaking with bicycling expert and manufacturer and former pro racer himself, Steve Fenton, about the Lance Armstrong situation. Steve, I guess the question is, when you're, when, when you're describing all these things that Armstrong's doing, blood transfusions, he's taking erythropoietin, he's taking steroids of the highest order, I guess the question is, 
Are we going to be able to have any confidence that the future winners of the, of the Tour de France and other competitive cyclists are clean? It ain't rocket science, you know, <laughs> because there isn't like this hundreds of thousands of top-level cyclists in the world. There isn't that many of them, okay? And what you do is once you get to pro-continental or pro-tour level, which these guys are at, they all carry a passport, and it's compulsory. They have independent testing every four weeks without any notice of where it's going to come in that four weeks. And you know what? If they don't know when they're going to get tested and get pounced on, these guys are going to have no other choice than to race clean. So I guess up till now, there's been this whole sort of choreography of, I'm going to test you on this date, and they knew what they had to do to, uh, to, to increase the chances of beating, beating the test. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And of course, you've got people at the top of the UCI say, oh, well, you know, we can't do this and it's impossible for us to police and it's too expensive. Yet the busy, on the other hand, the UCI, the governing body, are busy creaming the industry, trying to get everybody to have UCI approved frames and forks, having tests done on products that we've been making for 20 years. And now they're saying it needs their approval to say it's safe. These guys are supposed to be a governing body, but they're very good at actually creaming money out of things. And, uh, you know, instead of getting on with promoting cycling and keeping it clean, it's just run by a bunch of cronies who uh, are all about feathering their own nests, in my opinion. Well, I know you don't have a crystal ball, but uh, I would just sort of ask, what, what do you see the future uh, holding for, for, for professional, professional cycling? People like David Walsh and Greg LeMond too, and there's a lot more other people out there just like them to come along now and put a whole new structure in place and get rid of all the cronyism and uh, uh, and the, the backroom negotiations that go on with how the sports run. Just keep it simple and clean and make people realise that you get caught. Not only will you lose your license forever, you will be you will be fined and prosecuted, and you'll be liable to repay money such as salaries and bonuses and win win fees. You have to pay it all back, double. You have to pay it back in double, and as part of your contract of being a professional rider. All righty. Well, um, Steve, before we let you go, I mean, it's been fascinating talking about Armstrong, but you had a lot of other curious tales to tell about manufacturing bicycles over in Asia, and. Uh, and yeah. uh, I, I guess there, Davis is a big bike town. A lot of people are interested in this, and I'm sure that some people here are quite familiar with what uh, the, the products you're turning out. The question I'm going to start with is everyone talks about going to manufacture in the People's Republic of China on mainland China, and you chose to go to Taiwan, and you had some pretty funny stories of why that was. Could you, give, could you share a couple of those? You have to first of all bear in mind there is a huge difference about doing business in Taiwan and China. And, you know, Taiwan's a little island off the coast of China, out in the Pacific Ocean there. And, you know, there's cultural ties, there's political ties, there's all sorts of... But you know what? Doing business is so different. And I think, you know, there's some classic examples, which I think one of the ones I, I mentioned to you when I met you in Halong Bay was, let's just say you want a... Uh, you want a, a high-end coffee mug making. And these guys say, yeah, we can do it for you. And you tell them you need it for a dollar. But they know down well it's going to cost them $1.2 to make it. So they'll produce it for you and agree to the price. And what will happen is the first shipment, the second shipment, it will all come through exactly to the specification you want. And then things will start to change without any, any notice to you. you know, the, the, the quality of the paint that they use, the, 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 the varnishes or the, the raw materials, they will find ways of finding much 
far cheaper and inferior products in order to make up the losses and start making some profit. And none of this will be, with, you know, unless you're stood there watching them do everything, you'll never, ever <laughs> um, be, able to, be able to catch them do it. And, you know, and I think I, I, I told you that there's a very funny book. Well, two of them. There's one is called uh, Poorly Made in China, and the other one, which is one of my favorites, which is uh, Mr. China by a guy called Tim Chrisold. And, you know, I just sat and laughed my socks off reading those books. And that, that's Tim Chrisold's book is How to Blow $850 million in two years by getting your investments wrong in China and thinking that you know what you're doing. I'm glad for this reminder about those books. I, I, do, I think I need to check those out. That sounds quite entertaining. We should mention before going also that uh, you you are quite familiar with our local bicycling scene, and at one point, uh, as a as a young man, had done some professional racing right here in the Clear Lake area. You know our territory. A little bit, yes. And um, I was unfortunately he's no longer with us anymore. But I was very pri- privileged to meet uh, a wonderful man there in Clear Lake, a guy called uh, Joe DeBono, and uh, his his tale of how he started in the video rental business uh, inspired me tremendously to do what I do today with my uh, with my business. You had a very funny story about him joining, you joined him up on Clear Lake and he basically befriended some of you young guys and said come over and, and did some entertaining? Let's just say he was a rather big guy. He was about six foot three tall and uh, built like a nuclear proof uh, <laughs> brick toilet, you know? <laughs> Put in it polite. What a lovely man he was and... Um, he said to me, he says, yeah, I ride my bike 25 miles a day. And me being the cheeky little son, sorry, I'm from up north in England, said, yeah, what are your dreams, mate? <laughs> and uh, he offered to take us out cycling the next day. And he'd actually invited us to his house that evening. And um, we were all sat in the garden of this uh, motel we were all staying at. And we, it was pitch black and we heard this noise. And then uh, suddenly it stopped. And then out of the darkness, this jolly green giant appeared and said, come on, I'm taking you to my house. And we jumped on his boat and went screaming across this lake in the pitch black. <laughs> and, we, and then he joined us in the cabin where we all had a beer with him, going, who's driving the boat? <laughs> and we had a great time. And the next day, the next day we went cycling with him. And true to his word, that man rode his bike. Wow. Well... Steve, it's it's a great pleasure talking to you about all of this. I hope that uh, at some point in the not distant future we can bring you back as we sort of see how this this whole story unspools. For example, I know that the London Times was sued by libel for Armstrong. They're now saying, well, if what we said yeah. was true, how about giving us the money back? Oh yeah, they're going after him. They're, they're going after him, uh, and I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, they, they will set a precedent for other people to to go after him as well. And uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I hope they do. You know, and I hope they clean him out. And because the man's a crook as far as I'm concerned and, and a thief. Well, a lot of dominoes are going to fall starting now. We'll have to see where that uh, that goes. Maybe bring you back in a couple months if that's okay with you. I would love to do it. And really nice to talk to you. And uh, hope we talk again soon. All righty. Thanks, bye-bye. Doug. Okay. Bye-bye. Lies, lies. You're telling me that you'll be true. Get from you. Cheers, cheers. I should.